0: Good afternoon, Omaha. We are back for the uh, latest edition of the Half Court Press Podcast. I'm Dirk Chatlin. I'm joined by Joel Lorenzi. Uh, We have seen a whole lot of crummy basketball over the last few weeks, Joel. I think Creighton's last win was November 22nd. If I'm I'm right about that that the Arkansas game? Uh, And and tomorrow is December 22nd, or two days from now is December 22nd, when they'll play their next one. Scheduled to play their next one. So a full month of a basketball season for a top 10 team without a win. That's hard to do, Joel. That is is hard to do.
1: Yeah. I can't say I'm surprised after about three of those losses. Like, I can't say I'm super shocked, like, um you could i mean you could like as soon as call went down i was like okay you kind of know where this thing is trending um and i could have said as much about the marquette game but like losing like byu and um the way they lost arizona state like um looking back on it now like we probably should have this after like the third loss yeah but you, but usually
0: game. usually you're gonna get <laughs> A buy game or something to break it up, right? Like this is really unusual for yeah. for a team with with these kind of you know projections uh, and expectations to go through a stretch like this. Just like I said, partly because usually you just get lucky with the schedule, right? Like yeah. you run into a home game that you that you win. Um, and Creighton, you know, I think to their credit, they scheduled. They scheduled with difficulty. Yeah, uh, they scheduled with high expectations. But, uh, but it, man, it, it bit them here over the last few weeks.
1: And, and maybe some of it is our fault. Maybe we, we popped them up too high. Um, same thing with, with North Carolina, right? Maybe we popped them up too high. Um, there's a lot some- of similarities there. There's something to be said about, um, you know, taking a team's run that they finished with the previous season adding to that or retain what they retain, the continuity, and maybe what they add to that, taking that at at face value and saying, hmm, maybe we shouldn't expect the craziest leap. Now, I do think the schedule, um, like you mentioned, like there's just so many factors that that brought this team here, but um, I do think now we look back and maybe there are a few teams we shouldn't have propped up so high, but it, it just felt too right, right? Like it just felt too good for well teams. let's let's lean into that and
0: I don't, I don't want to turn everybody into a you know north carolina podcast uh but but like carolina lost one of their most important players brady manic right spread the floor hit jump shots bailed them out of bad possessions um really really critical player creighton lost a really critical player ryan hawkins a couple um,
1: if you ask a few people in the program with O'Connell O'Connell. Yeah. Uh,
0: you know, a uh, uh, a floor spreader, uh, someone who hits jump shots, athletic, you know, defensive, <laughs> uh, but, but Carolina, they went on a real run. Okay. Yep. Uh, Creighton did not go on a real <laughs> run. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like I, I think we have to rewrite history a little bit here and, and I, I'm not trying to, you know, knock the program, but, but Joel, they were not like, lighting it up in March last year. Okay, yeah. They they beat Providence in the Big East Tournament by a lot. That was an impressive win. But they lost to Villanova in the Big East Final. They probably should have lost the first round game to San Diego State. Uh, we're basing a lot of these expectations on the fact that they played Kansas closer than anybody else. right? Uh, yeah. we're, we're basically building an offseason of expectations around that game and the fact that they returned a lot of experience, a lot of sophomore talent, uh, and then they were, you know, they were adding Baylor Shireman, who uh, was was one of the best transfers on the market. So I think I don't want to go back and say we were wrong about this team, right? Uh, because I do think they had the components to be one of the top ten teams in the country, do. and they still do. Yeah. but I, I think I just think we need to be careful about saying, you know, this was based on the
1: fact that they finish the season so well, because, eh, you know. And, and I think maybe the thing we need to be saying is we shouldn't have been so quick to thrust them into that They didn't that make the leap like I expected them to make. Right, and that, th- that thing takes time, but we knew looking at the team, like <clears throat> like you mentioned with North Carolina, they lose Brady Manic, obviously a big uh, movement shooter for that team, and just spot up and gritty elbow, throwing elbow type guy like – um and the thing with North Carolina was, obviously, they made a legitimate run. Like, that team sucked before. They they were a bubble team before the they tournament. Were, yeah,
0: they were worse than Creighton yeah. going into March 1st. It was really March hard 1st. to watch
1: them. I, I grew up a North Carolina fan, and that team really, it was unlike most North Carolina teams I watched And they somehow wound up in the championship because they're getting the best play out of their players come March. Um, and when you take away Brady Bannock, like, there was a couple guys that could have filled that slot um, including Matt Meyer, who ended up at Illinois, a really good player. I thought he would have uh, basically mirrored that role for them. Um, but they ended up with Pete Nance, who is a really good player himself. Um, maybe doesn't play that role to a T, but offers different things. Now he does complicate the lineups in some ways. This isn't going to turn to a UNC podcast, like you mentioned. But um, the Pete Nance addition made it feel like it was a perfect, seamless fit because he could slide at the four. Obviously, there's some complications there. Um, that make it seem like maybe he'd be better at the five. Uh, so not the perfect fit. And maybe you could argue the same with, with, Shireman. with Shireman. Like, not not like he can't perfectly fit into the three-man, but it depends on who you're looking for him to replace. Do you want him to replace O'Connell, or do you want him to replace Hawkins? Now, he can't do everything Hawkins can. Like, we saw that with the empty side post of last game. It worked for a few possessions, then Marquette started actually trying. Um, and now it's like... It, it, it just depends on what you were looking for out of him, and I think that's what we had to look at when we you know, decided the expectations for this team and really decided how soon are they going to be as good as we think they are because they added one of the best transfers in the league and kept all these guys who, like you said, play Kansas closer than anybody. I,
0: I think the expectation, <laughs> the offseason hype, in my opinion, was validated by how they played the first two games in Maui. Yeah. Okay, so course. to say that oh Creighton you know was never that good, I think those two games proved that that their ceiling is really really high. Yeah, but I think we can break down the problems into three areas. One, the sophomores haven't taken the leap that we expected them to take. Okay, uh, <coughs> Kaluma and Alexander and Nemhard. Two, Kalkbrenner's injury or Kalkbrenner's sickness. Illness, yeah. Um. Huge, huge factor, right? Huge factor. And three is just the intangible connection between these guys, chemistry, you might call it. Uh, that, that. Joel, you have a better read on that than I do, uh, being around the team more. I thought Shireman was going to be a seamless fit. And there, you know, there's some people out there who just don't think that it's working, in part because they, they traded. You know Hawkins for Shireman from an intangible standpoint, um, and and I I am hopeful that that can change. <coughs> you know, but but I think it's I think you could reasonably argue at this point that Creighton the pieces just don't fit together very well, uh, which is odd because two months ago I would argue that the pieces fit perfectly. So what is your read on the? I want to ask you two things. What is your read on the sophomore slump? And two, what is your read on on sort of the chemistry of this team and how
1: Shireman, you know, influences that? Sure. And now ask me that second question again when I, after I answer the first one, because I know I'm going to forget. But um, the the sophomore slump, I I was asked this on the radio uh, maybe yesterday, and looking at the full, like we got a healthy sample size now, like we got a full slate of data, and I feel like. Um, that, like you said, I can't speak to a genuine jump yet, but you've seen flashes. Like um, Part of why they looked like they could beat anybody in the country in Maui was Nemar delivered one of the best performances of anybody on this team all year. Um, Trey Alexander was pretty efficient in what he did. Now, the only one who really played bad off the top of my head was Kaluma, who was rattled that entire week. What can you do? Um, I've been disappointed in his development but you also got to be patient with him because he did have that surgery in the summer and obviously um, it's going to take time to get to the point where maybe scouts and and fans expect him to be so I've been probably more patient with him than anybody even though it has been disappointing like you you've at least expected him to not have games where he has six turnovers or doesn't look completely out of it uh, or or doesn't make a shot at all Um, but but yeah so like that was performances like that were why we thought, hmm, like this team is where it needs to be. These sophomores did make that jump. But you look down a stretch, man, and, um, and it kind of leaks into the, the whole chemistry thing, right? I don't, I don't think there's a problem with their chemistry, but I do think like there hasn't been a guy with a genuine backbone like, like Hawkins that could really put their foot down and be like, yo, like we have to take this thing in this direction or it's going to spiral out.
0: And you know what, Joel? It's probably easier for a senior to do that with freshmen. Than it is with sophomores, right? Like yeah. those guys are coming in last year, have never done it, <coughs> uh, and I think Hawkins' leadership is probably more valuable in that situation than when you are trying to lead guys who just played Kansas in the NCAA tournament, right? Um, so maybe that's part of it too. I the the Shireman thing is really is really odd because um, again, on paper, skill wise. I thought it was gonna be perfect. Like I thought he was gonna basically enhance everybody else. And there's still time to do that probably, but it doesn't it doesn't look like he's making guys better. Um I'm not saying it's his fault, but it just it's not quite what I expected in sure. terms of the fit.
1: Well <clears throat> I think Kogbenner is necessary for him to really work as best as possible because you've seen got you seen games like, like the game against Marquette there are times where it becomes stagnant because guys aren't moving or like when they rely on Baylor to create, like there was times and I'm still debating on what it was that really went down, but there were possessions. You saw Baylor like trying to initiate uh, maybe without a ball screen or with a ball screen, whatever. And the guys around him are like kind of just watching him. And I think it's because maybe they don't want to complicate his spacing. Yeah. Um, But also like, I don't know, like I'm still debating on, on what it really was, but in cases like that, like if, if he needs all the space in the world to initiate and really get pain touches and um, he can't – like, he has to, like, not have guys bumping into him and, uh, you know, the defense really rubbing up on him. Like, if every situation has to be near perfect for him to genuinely create, then you're right. Um, maybe the fit wasn't as seamless. I thought that um, he'd be able to get into the teeth for the defense basically whenever he wanted because even though he's not a shifty ball handler, he's a real – reactionary ball handler and um, kind of like a like a Jalen Brunson or something like takes bumps you know gets people on his hip like stuff like that and um, it just hasn't worked as well and I think you need Calkbrenner for that because Calkbrenner obviously does draw so much attention and obviously he probably played his best basketball when Kalkbrenner was around but it shouldn't be like this without Calkbrenner, right like there has to be at least a a respectable floor for the whole team not just him when Carl is out and um, I think some of his rebounding has maybe taken away from that. Like some of his rebounding has like hid some of that, but last game, like even while he shot well, like the, the holes in his game were glaring mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Um. I also think
0: that, and this is going to sound weird because, you know, you look at Kaluma, for instance, and you say that's a, that's a phenomenal athlete, but, I think Creighton is getting exposed a little bit by, by just not being the most athletic team on the floor. Um, And, you know, some of that is not having a seven footer who, who can defend the rim and catch lobs, but Creighton is not overwhelming from an athletic standpoint. And if you're not going to make 37% of threes, (laughs) like you got to be an above average athletic team to score. And they're
1: not right now. Yeah. And, and with Shireman, that's, like we knew that from him, right, and we still expected, like I said, for him to be able to get people on his hip and get pain touches whenever, and then kick out from there. Um, because that's like the name of the game these days, right? Drive and kick. Uh, and for there to be games like last game where um, you know guys are standing around, maybe because they don't want to complicate a space. That that to me seems like a a locker room thing, like a miscommunication thing. At a certain point, like it's like oh. Uh, maybe someone on the wing who's watching him create is like, man, you if you need this much space and you, this and that, you need a perfect situation. I'm gonna stay out your way, bro. Right. you know right. And and that's when it gets to to be like me, like, man, how bad do you need Kogmenter? And and so uh you're right, like that. The whole athletic thing that the athlete thing is complicated because the best vertical athlete among them is probably Kaluma, and uh, it, it it makes for a versatile pro, but he's still not the greatest he, vertical he, athlete either. he's
0: not a, he's not a super vertical athlete trey's not a not dynamic athletically uh yeah. Nemhard's
1: numhard's still six foot as he's much an, as, as high he, as he yeah, can jump he's, he's still an average foot. athlete yeah. you know
0: he's an average guard uh they're just not very overwhelming athletically and they haven't quite figured out how to play off of each other uh it's i don't know it's it's really surprising and and you go into a stretch now they get three home games in a row uh, if the weather cooperates, sure. uh, Creighton's got to get this right in the next two weeks, Joel. I mean, this is like, I'm not saying it's crunch time cause there's a long season beyond that, but if they're going <laughs> to fix the momentum of this thing, I really feel like it's got to happen against Butler, you know, and DePaul, Um uh, th- these are, these are really critical weeks for Creighton's season. And, and you would think that it,
1: it finally gives them an opportunity to, to sort of get right. Yeah. and, and you're not just expecting like like to me, if the verticality is lacking and the athleticism is lacking, like you say it on top of the the shot making, like I expect smart decision making. Like not boofing possessions in the half quarter, having eighteen turnovers, like you have to at least take care of it to stay alive. And so I think that part of it, um, is something that they really can work on. Like, obviously you can't really work on athleticism. Like, I think that part of it is something you can not work on. And other intangible stuff has been lacking. Like uh it's been a theme, like the whole heart grit thing. Like um Sharif Mitchell said that they've probably been working toward it, but they, they lacked it during the stretch and Ryan Neymar said it was like, you either got it or you don't. And I'm looking at this team and I don't know how many of them really got it. Um, uh, And like, just looking at the grand scheme of things, like I think Calk Brenner has it more than anybody. Like, he gets the job done regardless. Like, dude has been sick for who knows how long. Probably dating back to the Arizona game when he got cooked. And he's still trying to do his job. I I, I don't really think any of it matters to him. And so I think they need – but he, the problem with him is he's not a vocal guy. So, like, as tough as he is, the vocality is is not there, man. So um, I think – him being back means everything for them, which is also a problem in itself because injuries are going to happen. I'm, I'm not wishing injuries on him, obviously. But um, he is their most important player, and he might be a top five most important player in college basketball. Man. Yeah. For, for, I mean, you've seen it. You've seen it firsthand through these past few games. Like, losing to BYU is a direct result of not having that guy. Yeah. It's a,
0: It's a tough situation. I also think that there's an <laughs> element of this, and, you know, we've referenced this in the past, but – Man, when you when you have final four aspirations, when you're the the conference championship pick, when you, you know, climb into the top 10 in the first month of the season, everybody on your schedule says we're going to go hard against those guys, right? And that's that's a target that you got to wear whether you're struggling or not. Everybody's still like you go to Marquette, they want to beat Creighton, man. Like yeah. Marquette traditionally is a better program than Creighton <laughs> but they saw what Creighton was at the, at the start of the year yeah they want to they want to prove themselves you know and I think Creighton's struggling with that a little bit too just the sense that that everybody's after him a little bit yeah uh and I I don't know how much that changes even as they're struggling in some ways I think it makes it even harder because because people sort of want to kick them when they're down uh, so yeah
1: and you saw that uh the other day right like and and it, Kudos to Marquette too, because they were picked like ninth in the poll, and they've looked like one of the top three teams in in the league after wins over Baylor and and Notre Dame at at, at Notre Dame and um, whooping the hell out of Creighton. Like they've looked really good, um, but yeah, like they they showed no no mercy. Like no. they they really whooped on Creighton, uh, and it was just a constant. Like they punked them, man. Uh, probably more than anybody has. And so, you get down the line. I mean, obviously, this is a a real bullish league, a really uh, a real tough league in terms of uh, physicality. I don't know; it gets easier for them on that front. Like you're probably going to see more teams that are going to want to kick you when you're down, like you say. Now,
0: Creighton has a a bit of a trump card here, and that is the home court, because sure. during this stretch, they've only lost one of these six games at home. Uh, the Nebraska arguably game, arguably the worst one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, arguably the worst one. But but they haven't. They have a chance because of the home court to sort of regain their edge. I think, yeah. and it'll be interesting to see again here in the next two weeks if they can do that. Uh, obviously, the most pressing matter is is whether the snowstorm is going to affect. You know Thursday's game against Butler, yeah. uh, but but you would think that that even if that one gets postponed, you know Creighton still has an edge against DePaul and then um, Seton Hall, and then Seton Hall. Yeah. So, uh, I think Creighton has a chance here in part because of the home court to get right. Uh, obviously, getting the big man back would help. So, yeah. let's transition to the Huskers. Uh, who, Joel? It was a really interesting reminder the other day <laughs> when you are. Uh, <laughs> When you're undersized, uh, or I'm sorry, when you're uh, underskilled, you don't make a lot of jump shots. You're offensively (coughs) deficient. You better frickin' play harder than the other team. And Nebraska didn't, and uh, and really got punished down in Kansas City. K State K State beat them up pretty good. Um, It was it was uh arguably nebraska's worst performance of the year sure. and uh also six and six so it's uh well, we it's thought, huh? it's been a really tough stretch for for uh for the huskers too and uh you know I, I think that game down there sort of reset maybe a little bit of the concerns of a month ago which was man i don't know how this team wins games if they don't if they don't just get after the get after the opponent so uh what are your thoughts on the Huskers as they as they complete a really tough stretch game stretch of games and uh, get a chance
1: to breathe a little bit before uh, before conference play? Yeah, you could say that their they, they, their next few games are should be a cakewalk. But um, I will say, uh, like, Creighton's fan base has found, well, probably not in the past week, but before it really felt like Creighton was tumbling. Like there was. Some moral victories to be found right now on the front of moral victories. Like, I think Nebraska got it, bro. Like, um, losing to IU without Grizzle, right? Um, by you know, I think 14 or, or so. Like, that's that's encouraging, I'd say. Like, you could easily say, Oh, yeah, Sam Grizzle in that game changed that game. Uh, and then taking Purdue to overtime, I think, is really encouraging in terms of uh, moral victories. I don't know. Uh, what the ceiling is for this team, but I do know if it just feels like a team that could catch a good team on a random night and just knock them off. Like this is a team that really could piss people off. I think.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good way to put it, but they've got to play. They've got to bring an intensity level. Um, You know, if they, if they take a night off, they're going to get thumped because skill wise, they just, you know, they're deficient. Uh, They're offensively deficient. I mean, they've scored, Joel, in regulation, you know, they haven't hit 70 points. Well, they haven't hit 70 points, period, since the Boston College game. But uh, they, they just have a hard time scoring. So defensively, you know, they, they have to play so hard against good teams. And they do it. They did it against Creighton. They did it against uh, Purdue. Uh, they didn't do it against K-State. They, I'm sorry, they dropped to 6-7. and seven. Uh, So they get Queens, uh, Queens University. Which surprisingly is uh, a little bit better than advertised, uh, and then they move into conference play with with Iowa coming in to, to Pinnacle Bank Arena, uh, which even without the students around over winter break will generate a, a good crowd, uh, and then you know then they hit the road. But uh, I think Nebraska is in a place right now where you know the edge that they showed against Creighton and Purdue, you know, is is something that. <sighs> it's going to be a battle of attrition because they have to bring it every single night. And I think, uh, you know, if they do, especially at home, I think they can play and, and beat anybody on their schedule. If they don't, you know, they're going to lose a lot of games 71 56 as they did against, against <laughs> Kansas state. So, um, what is your take on, what is your take on sort of the big 10 and the big East, you know, at large compared to maybe your preseason
1: expectations? Uh, well, the Big Ten is better than the Big East to me. Um, the Big Ten is better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I, I agree. And the Big East is probably a step down from what I thought it was going to be. Still, I think probably like fourth among major conferences, which is not say that much because the Pac-12 is, is shitty these days. But, um, you know, I will say for the Big East, like the fact that, well, one, um, maybe top heavy. I mean, they probably got the best team in the country. But from there, I mean, you're looking at, Xavier, Marquette. I mean, Creighton, when they're at their best, uh, is another good team to have in your top tier. But Marquette's good, but, like, what can they – how deep can they go in March, right? Um, Xavier, how deep can they go in March? Like, these are your best teams, and then there's, like, a drop-off. Like, Saint, I want to put St. John's there, but they just haven't played anybody. Um, so I, I don't know what to make of the Big East yet, uh, but it, I'm not as impressed as I thought I would be. And then uh, the Big Ten. Um, Purdue being as good as it is is probably what makes this conference better than we, what we thought. Yep. Michigan State. Uh, I don't think they're ranked right now, but they've had some good wins and some good games. Uh, a relatively decent resume to speak for. Um, Iowa is is good again this year. Uh, you know, Chris Murray is is an exceptional guy. Um, Illinois they've had some strange things happen to them but they also have really good wins like they're still a good team like I think you look across the board Maryland Maryland is better Maryland is probably one of the biggest surprises of the college basketball season maybe we we underestimated Kevin Willard like I think across the board the Big Ten is just overall surprising
0: it's just solid you know (coughs) like I'm looking at at Ken Palm right now and they're there's so many Big Ten teams in the top 40. It's almost
1: it's almost you know laughable. And that's probably closer to what I thought the Big East would be. I thought there would be a, a number of teams in the top 45 for the Big East. Yeah. Uh, what is your what's
0: your take on the Hoosiers? You know, I know you you grew up not too far from that program. They're uh,
1: yeah. And I was covering them a, a, a few months back. They got drilled it.
0: They got drilled at Allen Fieldhouse
1: last weekend. Uh, what's your yeah. take on IU? Just levels levels to that man. I think they're still a pretty good team. Uh, Just level – they're one of the teams I thought benefited from the way their season ended too. There was – you know, I watched Michigan State whoop them in their own building like earlier in conference play last year. And, um, you know, fast forward a couple months, uh, they have pieces that are encouraging. And um, they end up – I don't remember if they lost in the second round or what it was. But the way they finished their season felt like such a big turnaround from the games I had watched. Um, and covered, and so um, they—that was another fan base. that was like, yeah, IU, we gonna come back with all our guys next year, and we gonna beat y'all. Watch, like we we come back better than ever, and um, they're they're better than they were a year ago. But um, still, obviously, some growing to do if they want to be a Kansas, obviously. So um, I think they fit in with that group of UNC and, and Creighton in terms of uh, teams that benefited from uh, offseason expectations, but. I just don't know how far you get with with Trace Jackson Davis as your first option and uh, they got other kinks to work out, but um like this team more than I like last year's, I'll say that.
0: Do you um <coughs> Do you buy the Yukon Huskies? I do, man. I do. Do you um, buy them as the number one team in the country?
1: Well, I always like Houston as the best team in the country. I think they showed that against Virginia and they'll probably be ranked number one again or number two or something like At that. At some point. Yeah. Um so um, Houston is, is my pick because I, I watch Houston and that's the best defense in the country to me on top of already having dudes on dudes on dudes like they're elite and they got probably, they got my, I don't want to call him favorite coach in college basketball, but he's definitely up there in terms of best coach yeah. in college basketball. Nebraska probably could have hired him at some point. But yeah. But um, but yeah, Houston is it to me, but I think UConn's right there. Like legitimately, like if you told me, if you gave me a case for UConn number one, I probably wouldn't argue super hard with you. Like, um, uh, they're just they got a great first option in, in Sonogo. Um they got great secondary pieces and and Jordan Hawkins and, and Andre Jackson. Like these are these guys are great starters anywhere in the country, let alone for, for UConn. Like for these dudes to all come together and they they have one of the best freshmen in the country and Klingon and um the guys that come off their bench like Tristan Newland, like would be starting point guards elsewhere, like um, the depth that they have is really I think what Creighton thought they had. Um so you look across the board and they've beaten some really great teams handily like they Alabama is the only team to beat Houston. Um and Alabama's a talented team, don't get me wrong. UConn handily, handily beat Alabama, man, on top of the rest of their resume. So
0: UConn's the only team uh in Ken Palm with with top ten offense and defense. Yep. Their seventh offensive efficiency, their third defensive efficiency. That is really, really hard to do. So uh, last thing, Joel, and we'll get you out on this. Is it time for the Big te- for the Big East to finally expel DePaul University, <laughs> your proud Chicago <laughs> institution? Hey, don't
1: attach me to them, man. <laughs> That's the, the thing.
0: At what point did they get the Temple University treatment from like 20 years ago in football and just get booted out of their league?
1: Oof, I don't know because it's not looking any better for them, right? Like, no. People, like, bro, I'm, I'm from Chicago. Nobody gives a shit about DePaul, dog. Like, <laughs> like, like, like nobody grows up there and says, "Yeah, I want to put on for the city." Let's hoop at DePaul. Like, the closest you'll get to that, I think, was like, like I.O. Like, went to high school like five minutes from from my uh, the the crib I grew up in um, before he transferred to Morgan Park, and that was the closest thing. You, like, he went to and he went Illinois. to Champagne. Yeah, yeah. He went to Illinois. That was the closest thing you were gonna get. Like Adam Miller. Adam Miller's not from Chicago. He played in Chicago, but he's from like Peoria. Um, ended up at Illinois, like that, that pipeline is the closest thing you'll get to, to staying home, nobody's going to, uh, like dude, people are going to Loyola Chicago probably before they're going to DePaul, like that says, that speaks volumes, so why are they in the Big East kick them out, I don't know man, they probably riding off the coattails of like Corey Maggette and shit still, like that. I, I, I honestly don't know why, I don't want to shit on them, but like it's really hard to not I mean, we're talking about DePaul, like Like, Georgetown... Isn't holding on because of his brand. Like Georgetown is easily the worst team in the league. Well, okay, but it can't it can't get booted out, right? Like it, it, it's Georgetown. It's Georgetown. But DePaul, DePaul has nothing going for it. Like they're they're not good. They haven't had good teams. They don't have a good brand. Nobody from the city wants to go there. Nobody from the state wants to go there. Like <laughs> I, I I don't know what to make of DePaul these days. I
0: do. I knew if I brought that up, it would elicit some sort of response. It's only appropriate that you spend Christmas Day with DePaul University, Joel. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm just so delighted. Just to have a taste of the crib here, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, instead of being able to go to the crib. Yes. Christmas
0: yes. So. Man, why can't why, why couldn't we get you a road game
1: at Nepal? That would have right? been perfect for like on I, Christmas Day. And I was talking about this when the schedule came out, like as as up in arms as I was about having to cover a game on Christmas instead of just enjoying my beloved family. Uh, I I wish, like I am one of those sickles who still watches basketball all oh, day on of course. Christmas. But, like, dude, make it in my city, please. Like, I'll really I'll really cover the hell out of that game if yes. it was. But I, I'm going to cover the hell out of this game uh, You just I know w- Sam is listening. You but
0: just wish it was 500 miles to the east. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, uh, cri- these Christmas games are always, you know, they're always somewhat iffy. Uh, you don't know what kind of crowd you're going to get. Yeah. Um, you know Creighton playing on Christmas—that'll be interesting.
1: It, it, I mean, it's never happened in school history. I mean, you don't know team, and it's especially it, there are some talking points with this thing, especially coming from a, a religious school. And um, it's, I mean, we could sit here for a while and talk about it, but
0: yeah, it, it, and it's one thing if it was like Creighton Villanova or Creighton man, UConn. do Are we are we seriously putting Creighton DePaul on on Christmas Day?
1: Well, you know, obviously Marcus Blossom is is the man. Uh, responsible and he's a chicago guy so i'm sure he has something to do with that just like he had something to do with holy cross coming to town there you go be down so. there you go
0: all right that's it for the half court press podcast uh we'll be back uh sometime over over the holidays here to to reassess the huskers and the jays uh i got my eye on that nebraska iowa game next week joel because uh nothing brings out husker uh bloodthirst more, more than the Hawkeyes coming to town. So mm. uh, there will be some interesting basketball here over the next uh, seven to ten days, and uh, we'll be back next time to, uh, to evaluate it. Thanks for listening. For Joel, I'm Dirk. Have a great holidays.